I don't know about you, but the last uh, last weeks have been like a little like discombobulating. We've had um, loss in our community and even very recently. And just know that if you're here today, if you're online and it feels heavy and you're grieving, um, know that here in the presence of God, in the presence of each other, this is a great place where we can where we can grieve and where we can mourn. And we can say how we really feel, um, even when we're angry. And sometimes we feel like we can't bring those, those uh, feelings or those emotions with us into a sacred place. And yet, precisely in the sacred place is where the presence of the divine one, the holy one, speaks and says, how are you? How, how, how are you? The divine one who is the best listener of all and who knows that it is hard to live a fleshly life because Jesus lived a fleshly life, right? He came, he was born like human, right? He wasn't just like, you know, God in a skin suit. He was literally human. (laughs) So he knows what it's like to be waiting. He knows what it's like to grieve. He knows what it's like to feel the heaviness that often uh, we experience. So today, however you are feeling, know that God is here and with you today. And that when God speaks a word, somehow um, we can lament and mourn when it feels like it's not coming fast, but somehow it will come to pass and we live in that tension. So I invite you to be as you are today. If you're feeling that tension, if you're feeling grief or heaviness or just feeling a little out of it um, or feeling wonderful, those will try not to be too jealous. <laughs> you can be how you are here uh, with each other, with God. So welcome as you are. Um, as I mentioned last week, I felt a little discombobulated and it wasn't actually because of a lot of grief. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about like, I guess, two weeks ago, right after Christmas. Like after Christmas, I stayed home that week. Um, the offices were closed. And so I did a lot of work from home and my kids were home from school. And uh, my husband, Dan, he was on the mainland for a conference for work. And so um, I just, I kind of like woke up every morning. I wasn't like quite sure what day it was. Like all the rhythms were gone. And I saw this meme online and I kind of, I very much empathized with this stick man, um, <clears throat> first through the 26th of December, feeling festive, you see the little red cap, and then from December 27th through 31st, confused, full of cheese, unsure of the day of week. <laughs> that was like literally me. I was like, oh my goodness, yes to all of that. Um, and yet here we are, I mean, I'm, I am thanking God that like New Year's Eve is such a wonderful big deal here in our community, um, because if you're confused, New Year's Eve will unconfuse you. You're like, oh, it is loud. I smell smoke. There's gorgeous fireworks in the sky. It is a new year. <laughs> so none of us like need to know what year it is. Oh, we might need to be reminded when we're writing things down. If you're like me, probably for the next couple of weeks or so, I'm running 22, three. <laughs> And here we are, we're here in the new year. And the the interesting thing, um, one of the cool things I like about um, our faith together, this is just like a little side bonus, is that we get a calendar too. Right, we even know um, Chinese New Year is coming up, right? There's the Chinese calendar. The church has its own calendar. And right now, um, Christmas, the season of Christmas tide officially ended this week, um, this past week on Thursday uh, with Three Kings Day, which is when we remember the arrival of the Magi. We need to tell that to my Christmas tree. My Christmas tree is still up. (laughs) So Christmas tide is over. We are now in the season of Epiphany. Yay, Epiphany. And we're going to be in the season of Epiphany all the way to Lent, which is when we begin preparing and remembering and walking with Jesus on the road to the cross as we get ready for Easter. So um, we are in the season of Epiphany, right? We, we celebrate the arrival of the Magi, but more than that, we actually celebrate all these different stories in Scripture where there's different manifestations of, of, of Jesus to other people, like including the wedding 
Shekinah, the manifestation of God's glory right there. Um, or today, in today's text, which we're going to be hearing very soon, manifestation of Jesus in the temple to Simeon and to Anna. Um, or whether it be the arrival of the Magi, they haven't come yet, guys. Jesus is like two weeks old. <laughs> In today's text, he's like a month and a half. Uh, but we're going to be hearing the story of the Magi next week from Pastor Cheryl. And these are all different epiphanies of Jesus' glory as, as who God is is revealed to those near as well as those far away. So that's what we're going to be doing here in the church calendar and here at Wellspring in the weeks ahead. And we're going to be rolling out a new sermon series based on our word of the year um, in the season of Epiphany. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But right now, I'd just like to get right into today's Bible story. I'd love to call up Stephen and Terry Locke to read it for me. It's a longer passage. I'm so glad you both are going to be able to read it because uh, we'll stay, we'll have more attention. I just have to say, this is a passage I have never heard a sermon on. I've never preached one on this passage because it often gets forgotten. It's like Jesus is a baby, but he's not, it's not really Christmas. So we don't really put it in Christmas and then we kind of forget about it. But we're not going to forget about it today, so... Come on up. Maybe we'll give them a hand. Like, thank you, Stephen and Terry, for reading. Okay, I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Holy One, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb as firstborn shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under that which was taught, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now release your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign provoking contention, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Terry and Stephen. So here we are. Can you picture the scene with me? 
it's quite a, a significant story. We have this huge temple and um, I'm gonna show you like we have the, the, the inner temple itself, uh, which I'll show you zoomed in on this next page. It's full of like courtyards, all sorts of like different places for specific things to be done. There's even a place for, for lepers to go if they, they think they've been cured or cleared, um, they go to be cleared by the priest. There's little something, little place for everybody. And the temple itself is actually only um, a small part of the entire temple mount. And if you, you notice right here on that one long, um, that one long, uh, wall. It's about 4.5 football fields long. So this is like an incredibly huge place. And it would have been filled with all sorts of people. It would have been filled with rabbis and pilgrims and priests going about their business and um, people who were selling items to pilgrims and worshipers. And it would have been filled with all sorts of people. It'd be a very busy, bustling place. Um, uh, last year, I was meeting a new friend at the swap meet, and um, I couldn't meet them. And she's actually a rabbi. And we kept texting and then calling each other, trying to meet up. And we finally met each other. But it's such a big place, right? And there's so many people, and there's so much stuff going on that it can be hard um, to, if you're meeting someone there. And yet here we have in our story for today, we have this little humble family, Joseph and Mary, and their baby who's about a month and a third years old. I mean, a month and a third months old. <laughs> So very little baby, right? Jesus has just been born. And here they come, and they're, they're a humble family. They're a poor family. Usually in their tradition, when you have a, a, firstborn, a firstborn son, which is such a gift, because this is your insurance, that one day your long-term care insurance, this is your, uh, will really help you economically. This, this person will be caring for you one day in life. And it was customary to bring uh, like a, a, a sacrifice to the Lord. And um, in the book of Leviticus, it stated to bring a lamb. And if you cannot afford a lamb, you bring a pair of turtle doves or pigeons. And as Stephen and Terry read, they didn't bring a lamb. They brought turtle doves or pigeons. Magi had not yet come. They were a poor family. They're just bringing with them what they needed for this, this celebration. And there in this huge place with so many people come another pair, people who don't know each other, Simeon and Anna. And as they meet, there is encouragement. There is life. There is blessing as Simeon blesses them. Simeon makes space to talk about pain. There is going to be pain coming up, being the parents of this child. There's going to be pain coming up. And here in this moment, the sacred moment, I can imagine it, would, it was so fulfilling because it is a culmination of all their waiting. Not just the waiting of Simeon and Anna. We're told that Simeon had been promised that he would not die until he saw God's child. And in some Christian traditions, like the Eastern Orthodox tradition, they say that he's like 300 years old. <laughs> I'm like, dang, well, I'm not Eastern Orthodox, but wow, <laughs> that's old, right? <clears throat> so however old he was, he'd been hanging on for a while, living in the tension between what was promised him and the fulfillment of that promise. And it wasn't just Simeon who was living in that tension. It was actually the entire community who had been living in the in-between. The in-between of when's God, when God's promises were made and when they were actually fulfilled. Because remember, the, the people of Israel, they're a marginalized, oppressed people group. Like at the time that, that Jesus is being carried by his mother and father into the temple, they are currently occupied by the Roman Empire. They've experienced much pain. They've almost been eradicated and, and wiped out. They've been um, like 
people have had genocidal tendencies for many years, and yet here they are still waiting. And they're waiting, yes, for the promises of God to Abraham and to Sarah to, to through their descendants, bless the entire, every single family in the world, all the peoples of the earth. They're waiting for that big promise. They're waiting for the promises um, that we see in the prophets, in the prophet Isaiah, in so many prophets who say, you know, this place, this place is full of war and violence. This is not the way God wants it to be. And one day God will send a deliverer who will inaugurate a new realm so that one day this world is fully a place of justice and peace where there is no more war, no more violence. Enemies are no longer enemies. And the, the light and the goodness and the beauty of God shines everywhere across the entire, across the entire globe as heaven comes to earth. This vision of the prophets, they've been waiting. So it wasn't just Simeon who's waiting. It's all the people of Israel. They've been waiting. And they've been waiting for a long time. And here in this moment, this is a story of God's promises being fulfilled. Here in this moment, they're fulfilled. What they've been waiting for has come. And yet, like a baby, the baby's got to grow up. And the kingdom that the baby brings, it, the kingdom's inaugurated, and it's shining now, but just like a sunrise, we see little bits of it. It's not here in its fullness, right? We're waiting for the day that heaven comes to earth. It's not quite there yet. We get to be part of God's renewal of all things in the meantime, because once again, we are also waiting. <laughs> so this is a story of fulfillment of God's promises, but we can't talk about the fulfillment of God's promises without talking about waiting. Now, if we think about it, um, it's just a true statement that there's always a period of time between when a promise is made and when the promise is fulfilled. Like, when Dan and I got engaged, you know, in college all those years ago, we didn't, like, immediately get married. We made a promise that we would marry each other. We didn't immediately get married. We had stuff to do first. I had to, like, get a dress and whatever, bring friends over. There were things we needed to do. And eventually we got married, so that promise was fulfilled. Right? When, when couples are trying to get pregnant, and then they do, and all goes well, and there's new life and new growth, well, it takes months, right, if all goes well, to finally be able to hold that child in their arms. It takes a while. There's not a baby instantly in their arms. You have the promise of one, the hope of one, not fully here yet. The baby's not ready. The baby comes out. You don't want the baby to come out. You want it to grow, right? It's not time yet. Or if you think about maybe like buying a house, if you put an offer on the house, it's accepted. Are you promising that if all goes well, you will buy that house? They're promising to sell you the house if all goes well. But it's not happened yet. There's still stuff that needs to be done before you can hold that key in your hands, and the home is yours. Or perhaps you're traveling or trying to go to another country and need to get a visa. May you finally get a visa. That's like the country's promise to let you in if you arrive. But you're not there yet. You still have to do all the planning and budgeting and get yourself to that country. Because all the time in life, like spiritually as well as like in things we can just see around us all the time, there's almost always a period of time between when there's a promise and when the promise is fulfilled. And I'm talking about, you know, dependable, trustworthy promises made by safe people that we can, you know, put, put faith and hope in. They don't happen instantly because especially the best promises of God take time. There's a space between when the promise was given and when it comes to pass. And friends, like what, what promises are you waiting for? Are they like the huge ones? Like you're waiting for heaven to come to earth. You're waiting for there to be justice and peace. And in the meantime, you're part of God's work in the world to help make that happen. Are you waiting for God to comfort you 
after a devastating loss. I think it's really easy to look at this story and say, like, oh, it's so nice for Simi and Anna. They could see God's promises fulfilled. Cool. Okay. It's a nice story for them. Moving on. The reason why the story can be so moving and how it can speak to us today is because all of us have deep longings in life. We have hopes. We have desires. And all of them, or I'd say almost all of them, are in some way tied to a promise God has made. So perhaps you feel deeply alone. God has promised to never leave you or forsake you. Perhaps you are struggling financially and you need God's provision. There is a promise for that. God says, I will provide for all your needs according to the riches of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've experienced injustices in life. Isaiah says that the Lord longs to be gracious to you and will rise up to show you compassion for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Isaiah 30, 18. That was so good I had to include the whole thing. Maybe, maybe you are facing death. Or maybe someone you know has died. For many of us, someone we know has died. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. All these promises of God, they are so relevant to us because they are tied to our wishes, our hopes, our yearnings, our dreams. Maybe, maybe you're not finding satisfaction in anything anymore, not in work, not in play, in community, in sex, in eating, nothing satisfies. God promises and says, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. God will satisfy you. So friends, just imagine how moving it was for Simeon and Anna to be there at the temple and everything they had been longing for, waiting for as, a, as individual people and as a community suddenly is there right in front of them. And this deliverer arrives, this king arrives, not with a wonderful entourage, not with uh, you know, a trumpeter or a loudspeaker, but this wonderful savior, this freer healer arrives as a little baby held by his poor family. And as I listen to this scene, and I look at it, and I feel the beauty in it, as well as feel the tension of my own longings, waiting for God to fulfill God's promises to me, I wonder to myself, how did Simeon and Anna find Jesus, Mary, and Joseph? Like, they had been waiting a long time, and all of Jerusalem had been waiting. Why was it just the two of them? Was it because it's just a really busy place and nobody noticed this little family? It's because Simeon and Anna, something was special about them. Somehow they had cultivated in themselves an openness to God so that when Jesus came, when Jesus arrived, they were there and were able to recognize him, even though to most people he would have been unrecognizable as the one they'd been waiting for. Simeon and Anna had cultivated this inner openness to God. Now, I've mentioned that we are in the, the church season of Epiphany, and here at Wellspring, we do a tradition every year, and every year we invite our community in January to be reflecting on a word that resonates with you, a word or phrase that resonates for you to carry, within you, uh, carry with you to the new year. We call it our word of the year. Sometimes we call it a star word, kind of reminding us of the magi who had a star to follow, and that kind of helped guide them and orient them in disorienting days. So we invite people to pick a word of the year, a star word. And um, we actually have a bunch of words right here today. Um, we have them right here in this basket uh, and surrounded by um, 
this candle reminding us of the light of Christ. There's different words on it. And so feel free after service if you want to come and pick a word, if you want to sift through them and see if any spark, spark interest or joy, or maybe you just want to grab one at random. Be like, you know what? I haven't had much luck picking a word of the year. I'm just going to see what comes to the surface. That's fine too. <coughs> so you do you. <laughs> I'm still wrestling with my word of the year. I usually uh, resist the word for like a couple weeks and then I'm finally like, okay, I'll use that word. So I didn't used to do this before I came to Wellspring. That's something Wellspring has actually exerted her influence on me on. <laughs> now I think this is the fifth year in a row I'm going to be choosing a word of the year thanks to Wellspring. So every year we, we pick a word of the year individually or we encourage you to. Um, and then we also have a word of the year for Wellspring. And as, as staff, as pastors, we, we look at the year and we just listen and we remain um, listening until a word kind of settles. And um, I remember in 20, 20, uh, 2020, the word was renew because there was some renewal we needed to do and then COVID hit. And we're like, well, everything's, <laughs> I guess renewal is happening by default because there's all these things we have to do that we have really not done that force us to renew our connections with each other. Um, and then 2021, the word was persevere, because man, that was a hard year. I wish we had picked a different word that year. Like, oh, still chugging along, right? COVID's still very present. And then um, last year, 2022, we wound up picking three words from our, one of our, our vision statement, which is to be mending, equipping, and releasing disciples of Jesus. So we, we picked up mending, equipping, and releasing, and they kind of informed some of our sermon series and some of our conversations during the year. So this year, friends, the word that's really been settling and been coming up a lot, especially for me, um, this, this, this year as we have a big transition ahead of us with a move, um, the word that we're settling on is open. Open. And some of you have had this as your personal word of the year. Like, I know, I think like that was John and Emoto's, but I didn't, I remember John leading us through COVID, and I think that was his word of the year, and it really impacted me. It was beautiful. I remember him sharing about it with us. So here as a church community, the word open, because we are going to have to be open in all sorts of ways this next year. Whenever you have a big move or transition, we have to be open to new ways of thinking about like how we gather and what it looks like and what we need and how we love our neighbors and our community. And that all requires openness. Um, we still have COVID, which is this ever-present um, pandemic, and we know that it's still it's still causing harm to people. And so we want to be open and be like, how can we care well for each other? How can we love and accompany each other well in a, um, in a pandemic world? That requires openness as we continue to have conversations. And then um, it's right, coming up on election year, not yet, but coming up. And in this world of increased partisanship, I think we're invited to be open to each other because it's so easy to dismiss and demonize um, or demean. That's what so much happens in the world around us. But for us to say, okay, we might disagree on some of these things, but how can we be open to each other? How can we be open to conversations so we seek to be led by, um, led by God? So this is just a couple ways, a couple reasons why we need to be open. And so many of you, that might be a posture you've already developed already. This is just a call to keep doing what you're doing. For others of us, for me, I tend to kind of get an idea in my head and I get kind of rigid with it and it invites me to hold everything with an open hand. So, um, yeah, another way, like some of us kind of have lost touch with each other, right? We've lost touch with each other during COVID. This is an invitation to be open to rejoining community in a way that works for you. So as Wellspring staff, we're going to be really just meditating on this and the different junctures of our um, transitions this next year. And we're going to be inviting you um, also through the Epiphany series to be open as we seek to be open to all of the good things of God, God's way, God's transformation, 
God's new work, God's empowerment, and especially open in the waiting. Open in the waiting. What set Simeon and Anna apart, somehow they had cultivated openness, that they were able to hear from God, to be moved by the Spirit, and be at just the right place, and recognize Jesus. So we don't see this word open in the text, but it surrounds the entire story. It surrounds the story of Joseph and Mary, who had to be open to an entirely different life than they had planned for each other. So friends, how do we in our waiting cultivate an openness to God? How do we cultivate an openness to God? And there's a couple of things I want to pull out of the passage. Don't worry, they're not like three points of a sermon because we've already been, <laughs> been talking for a while. But I want to just list these three briefly for you, as well as pay attention that they're not the only things we see in the text. Um, I'm going to just try to highlight some of the hidden, hidden, um, a couple of hidden arenas of life that are here in this text that I think contributed to Simeon and Anna being open. They're not the only ones. We also see some very obvious things in the text, like they, they were regular worshipers and they went to the temple, they gathered, they had these rhythms of life of fasting and prayer. So this is, if you knew Simeon and Anna, if I knew them, we would see this in their life. There's a couple of things that maybe would be less visible that I wanna just highlight right now before we close our time together. How in our waiting, as we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled, <coughs> Three hidden aspects of life that can cultivate openness in us to God. And the first one is rituals. Rituals. What rituals can we cultivate to lead us to experience Christ? Now, for some of you, this is an ick word. Rituals. Oh, like aren't those things that are devoid of meaning that people just do? And we can associate it with like dry, dead religion or with like um, all sorts of things. It's, it's a word that we've really lost the good, true intent of it. And I'd like to define a ritual as a symbolic enactment. And in life, all the time, we actually have rituals, but they're kind of hidden to us sometimes we don't even realize we have them. Um, it's anything we do that has like a deeper meaning to it. That's kind of how I'm going to define it today. Like uh, for many of us, uh, watching sports is more than just watching sports or getting together to celebrate Super Bowl or Super Owl Sunday. It's more than just gathering together to watch sports. It has to do with family and, and connection and sportsmanship. It has to do with like the way we were raised. It connects us to our dad, which connects us to our grandpa. There's all this undercurrents of meaning that make it less of a, well, let's just watch some TV together and more of a ritual. Does that make sense? We don't think about it as a ritual. Just think about it as a party or something we're doing. There's all sorts of things that are rituals in life. I remember my husband's um, grandfather, his kung kung, would call, I believe it was his stockbroker every day. There's someone he would call every single day. And they knew that like, if he didn't call him, like, maybe he fell. Like, go check on kung kung. Because like clockwork, every single day he called. And I think for him, it was a ritual. It was a symbolic enactment. On one hand, it's, yeah, finding out how are my stocks doing. But underneath it, it has, it's tied to feeling successful in the world and safe and knowing that there will be enough to provide for you and others. It is a ritual. And friends, you and I have rituals in our lives, and I just want to invite you to let's, let's purposely enact some spiritual rituals, a faith ritual. I'm defining it as a symbolic enactment that opens up awareness to the presence of God in the everyday world. And um, it can look different for all sorts of people. We don't have time to go all into it right now, but I would love to have this conversation with you because it's very unique to you. What might be some rituals you can bring into your life? And one that we do every single um, month together here at church is taking of communion. 
We take communion together, and it's, it's a sacrament. We believe that there's actually presence of God in the juice and in the bread. It's also a ritual. It's something that we do together. We enact, we all eat, and it reminds us that even in the bread, even in the, the, the drink, even in the most basic of our lives, the things we need for life, God is present. So it's this ritual we do that brings life. So friends, how can we grow rituals? How can we continue the rituals we have? Um, a couple of reflection questions, I'll just read these. What rituals help me experience God's presence? These should be in your notes. What helps me celebrate the goodness and the mystery of life? What rituals do I need to implement or recover? So how do I need to bring back into my life? So the first one is our rituals. Um, the second one is um, influences. This is another hidden aspect of life that can cultivate openness to God is our influences. Um, in verse, verse 27, Simeon is moved by the Spirit to go into the temple. I remember uh, reading this, I think it's an advertisement for a pen a number of years ago. It's like, what moves you makes you. <laughs> what moves you makes you. And I thought, oh, that's, there's some truth in this. The fact is that Simeon was moved by the Spirit, and that's what enabled him to go to the temple. That's why he went there. He had this openness to God. He was moved by the Spirit. He was influenced by the Spirit. And some of us, we, we can be influenced by things that are external to us, right? We can be influenced by the news we watch or people we hang out with or um, so many influences every single day. And then we also are influenced by our own unconscious shadow. Sometimes we can be our own biggest influencers. And this is kind of hidden, right? We don't always talk about this or even realize this about ourselves. There's this quote I want to share. It says, every pain addiction, anguish, longing, anger, or fear, is an orphan part of us seeking joy, some disowned shadow wanting to return to the light and home of ourselves. So we can be often motivated by this unconscious shadow side of ourselves, motive, um, influenced in our work, in our relationships, in our community life, even in our relationship with God. And the invitation is to, to grow in self-awareness. And this is what we learn in EHS. I have another quote from... Um, our Emotionally Healthy um, Spirituality series. They define shadows as those untamed emotions and behaviors that lie largely unconscious beneath the surface of our lives that constitute the damaged versions of who we are. They may be sinful, they may simply be weaknesses or reactions to trauma or pain. It's just not limited to these definitions, but each one of us, we are influenced. We are creatures that are influenced. We're influenced by outside influences and we're influenced by our own shadow self part of ourselves we don't really know, but we are invited to listen to, to pay attention, to examine our reactivity. Sometimes the way we react with others can reveal some of the shadows when they butt up against other people's. And then to bring those into the light and to let those come home to ourselves and to God. Because friends, uh, what we are influenced by will determine our openness to God. And how we work on our own inner healing determines and influences our openness to God, too. So our rituals and influences, they can cultivate openness in us to God. Oh, wait, here's reflection questions. I'm going to read them for those online who don't have access to notes, but everybody else here in the room, they're in your notes. Questions are, what moves me? What outward influences can I identify? How can I increase awareness of my shadow? Take the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality class that will help increase awareness of your shadow. It's a plug for that. Okay, so lastly, but what's another hidden aspect of life that can cultivate openness to God, right? We have our rituals, we have influences, and then we have our passions. Our passions are those things that um, bring us life and joy and, and 
Yeah, lots of life. The things that we really care about. Right? In verse 25 of this text, we know that Simeon was a devout man who is passionate about God. And we know from our text, verse 37, all of Anna's passions were focused on God. She, she literally lived in the temple. When it says that she never left it, but fasted and prayed there day and night, I don't think the text is engaging in hyperbole. I think Anna was a houseless individual who lived you know, in one of the, the colonnade areas of the temple and never left it. The entire place of worship was her passion. It's where she stayed after being widowed up until now. So these, these wonderful people who found and recognized and welcomed and had the satisfaction of seeing God's promise fulfilled in the baby Jesus, they were open because of some of rituals and influences and practices. Even if we just go back to rituals really quickly in the text, like Mary and Joseph going to the temple, like they were literally observing a ritual to do that. And it was one that enabled them to sense God in their everyday, right? Women, after the blood being spilled of childbirth, it was like a taboo. And so you were set aside from community life, which enabled you to be free from germs, enabled to not have to pass newborn baby around to all the aunties. You had a little time away from community life, and then you had a ritual to rejoin it. And that would help you mark something has happened. Something has happened to me that was hard. There was blood spilled. And also there is life. And sometimes we lose, right? We lose these rituals. So anyway, I apparently have a lot to say about rituals. So, so these three things. <laughs> oh. um, going back to passions, a couple reflection questions before we close up. Um, what am I passionate about? Do these passions encourage others? Are they praiseworthy to God? It's in the text, there's a lot of praising to God. Everybody's encouraged. And do they result in blessing of people around me? Right? Simeon blesses Mary and Joseph and Jesus. There's so much blessing. I know some people, um, sometimes I'm one of them, who might be really passionate about God, but not really passionate about people. <laughs> and the thing is, those two things are really meant to grow together. And when, we're, when we really have a healthy passion for God, it will include love for neighbor, which is why both Simeon and Anna their passion for God has resulted in this love for neighbor, in this blessing for neighbor, even in their desire to share the good news to their neighbor. So as I get ready to close, I just want to mention that um, I want to draw our attention to, to one thing that Simeon says, and it's right, a long scripture passage today, and we've talked about a lot of things. It was what he says at the very beginning when he sees the child, regardless of whether he was 300 years old or 80 or 90, however old he was, he holds the child in his arms. You can picture Simeon holding the baby Jesus. In some traditions, he's actually called the God Receiver. And there are some beautiful um, artist picture renditions of him, just as this ancient man hovered over, his eyes blinded by age, but recognizing this child that he's holding. And he says this. He says, I can be dismissed in peace. Your servant now can depart in peace. Depending on the translation, release me in peace, Lord. You can release me in peace. Another word of saying it would be, I can rest in peace now. I can RIP. I can rest in peace because what I have been waiting for is here. I can rest in your promise. My life is complete. Everything I've been longing for is right here. And I think that is such a beautiful and powerful statement that I hope each one of us, as we live through all the new years that we still have to come, and as we approach our final new year, as we approach our final days, 
we don't know how long any of us have to live. As we approach that last moment to be able to say, I can rest in peace. Whether we can rest in peace singing all of God's promises fulfilled to us or some of them, having cultivated this openness to God in everything, including rituals and influences and passions. So cultivating openness to God that finally there is nothing to fear. Trust is complete. That's a gift. I don't know if I could go that way. This past week, um, past couple weeks, I've been sitting with our friend Renee. I know many of you have too. I have a picture of Renee, and um, I'm going to specify on the screen which one she is because she's with her friend. She's with Larry and Margie. And so Renee is the one in the blue dress. Do you see her? The blue dress to the left, and she has a little name tag that says Renee. I was with Renee on the, one of the last times that she could still communicate, and she had a little whiteboard, and she wrote down on it, she wrote, I, I'm going to try to get this right. She wrote this right here. I am at peace. That's what she wrote. I am at peace on the board. And I just sat there. I thought, here Simeon says, I can rest in peace. Our friend Renee said, I am at peace. And what a gift it is to be able to come to that realization that God is trustworthy. That when we live in the tension and the waiting, that somehow God can still show up for us, can be here for us. And that one day we will see God's promises, all of them revealed, some in this life and some in the next. So as we live in the waiting, may you live knowing that God's promises are dependable. May we live remembering those who've gone before us, who leave us with this legacy of peace. Leave us with this legacy of witnessing God being faithful. Sometimes we don't always see it. May we live in the reminder that we can rest in peace, that God has done it. God is our savior. God is our freer. Let's pray. Mighty one. And also small child. Thank you for coming into this world just like us, in our waiting, waiting for your promises to come true in our lives, be promises of provision or hope or protection or healing or resurrection. Empower us to not wait passively, but to be like Simeon and Anna, who kept an openness alive to you and to each other. Encourage us, enlighten us, influence us, be our passion, inform our rituals, all for the sake of your son in whom all good promises come true. Amen.